Hey everyone, in 2019, I interviewed Thomas Skrenny, an old friend who was also head of Mount Sinai's OBGYN department for many, many years. But more importantly, in the late 60s, he was on the team that did abortions at Mount Sinai after getting approval from an all-male committee who would oversee the reason she needed one. Too many times the vote was no. Then after Roe v. Wade came down, Thomas started the first clinic in New York City, and his stories and caring are legendary. We'd planned to do a series of interviews, but he passed away before that happened. He was concerned that what has happened would happen. Hear his stories of what it was like back then, and then ask yourself if you can sit by and let this happen without some action. Here now, my interview with Tom Kareni. Hi, Thomas. Hello. <laughs> Thomas and I go way back, 30 years, actually, 30, well, 35 years, maybe. And the first time I think I met you was in Hungary when we were with um, George Soros and his team. And we played doubles, mixed doubles. <laughs> we were the mix. <laughs> I was the mix, yeah. And I, by the way, was the least good of the four. But anyway, we go back a long time. So full disclosure says I should say this, but you're a maternal fetal medicine specialist out of New York. You were head of Mount Sinai's... Or, uh, of uh, OBGYN. OBGYN. Obstetrics. Obstetrics, and yeah. And in charge of the labor floor. Yeah. But uh, first of all, define for us, what is maternal fetal medicine mean? Actually, all the complications that can happen in obstetrics, meaning diabetes, high blood pressure, all kind of not ordinary events during a pregnancy. And you have to have a special sub-boards to deal with those complications. Right. So you could call it high-risk obstetrics, but somehow the maternal fetal medicine sounds better. And that's the, I had never heard of it before. Yeah. I don't think, probably I wouldn't unless I had an issue. Yeah. Is that right? There are three subspecialties, oncology, GYN oncology, uh -huh. maternal fetal medicine, and infertility. Just recently, they added the fourth one, which is uh, urogynecology, people with incontinence and so on and so forth. But in order to restrict your activity primarily to that subspecialty, you have to have specialized training for at least an extra two years, and then you take a special exam, and then you are certified for that subspecialty. It's very interesting. But interestingly enough, I mean, I've known you all these years. I don't know if I've ever told you, but I think you performed an abortion on me in 1975. Yeah. It's very possible. Yeah. I can't well, remember. <laughs> well, the reason I think you did is because whoever did it had an accent, and I wasn't sure what the there accent wasn't was. Too many with an exactly. Accent. That was the only yeah, one. Yeah, and all these years that I've known you, I've never told you. But it, I want you to know it saved it saved my future. You know, I wasn't ready, and the man who, who was the great love of my life wasn't ready, and. Um, so, you know, I'm one of the people who took Give advantage of it. Yeah, I guess <laughs> I took advantage of that option. And um, so anyway, but it meant a lot to me Do because... Do you remember where it was? Was it at Park East Hospital? I think it was Park East Hospital. It was either 80... You might, it might be 82nd, or I thought maybe there was one on, in the 60s, too. Um, yeah, Carl Fossum had a place on 60... Somewhere, 60 or 61st. He was the first one who actually established the clinic. And he was a psychiatrist from Norway, but he was a very liberal person. <laughs> well, he would have person. had an accent too, yeah. yeah. right. But he never did procedures. Oh, he didn't do them. He just financed the place, planned the place, and at the end, when they were really very popular, he needed somebody to tell him how to organize it. And he hired me as the director 
of, I've never done a procedure there, yeah. but I supervised what they were doing, evaluated the results, and made corrections or had to fire somebody who wasn't doing it right. Well, what's interesting is, okay, so you're from Hungary, and he was, you just, I, I just thought of this now with you saying he's from Norway. Yeah. It seems to me, at the time when you started doing them in 1970, 1971, well, actually, it started very slowly in seventy. Yeah, that's just interesting. The two foreigners were really leaders in it in 1970, when probably the more American doctors maybe were not as willing to step up because right. there was much to lose. And so, what I wanted to ask you about was the lead up to it. Did you think? Did you think it was going to pass? First of all, in nineteen seventy, great activity, and some people even outside of New York began to defy the law because. There were only three places, New York, Colorado, and I don't remember somewhere, the Pacific Northwest, there was somebody else who started to do procedures, and it was legal in those three states. And Roe versus Wade didn't come into action until three years later. Right. But we became the abortion mecca of the East Coast. But before 1970, when there was when they were trying to decide whether they were going to enact this law, you had already started studying abortion. I read this. I had no idea because of your uncle in 1960, you were injecting saline solution in, into the fetus. It's, it's to- interesting sideline. My uncle was born seven weeks prematurely. And all his life, he became a physiologist uh, in obstetrics. And he was always trying to find a reason why people go into premature labor, because that was his personal issue. Seven weeks premature, he luckily survived and didn't have any well, neurological apparently didn't damage. didn't hurt his brain at all. And in those days, <laughs> very few made it. It's like, seven weeks was really early back very then. Very early. Okay, so in 1960, you believed in abortion. Yes. Okay. Were you, did you talk openly with other doctors? You know who was it a secret? convinced what? me it was Guttmacher. I was Who's a first Guttmacher? year resident. Guttmacher, he later became the head of Planned Parenthood, unfortunately, oh. in the second year of my residency. I was very impressed by Guttmacher, a very liberal person pushing the birth control pills. And, and his motto was that every pregnancy should be a planned one, which is... Really, that, to the point. That's a great line. Every pregnancy Every should, pregnancy be, a should be a planned one. So he became head of Planned Parenthood, and for years he was the... But how did he come across a resident, a, do- a medical resident? How did that... I mean, was he a doctor? Yes. He, oh, was he an OBGYN? He was the head of oh. our department, OBGYN. Huh. And uh, it was funny, another sideline. when are I you re- Wait, are you religious? No. So there was no religious I was an thing. an atheist to... by age 13. <laughs> well, that's, that comes from being born in Hungary. But anyway, what was the other sideline? That Mount Sinai was a pyramidal system in obstetrics. We started out as six residents in first year, and they cut down to three in the second year. And I was naive when I went to Sinai. I, I didn't realize how much of a religious or Jewish institution Sinai was. Mm-hmm. And, and I started to get nervous that I will not make the cut because I'm not Jewish. So I went to him and asked him, Dr. Guttmacher, I realize it now may be too late. What am I going to do? He said, sit down. I said, down. Let me tell you a story. I was at Johns Hopkins 
and Johns Hopkins was not oh, a Jewish it still institution. Is. Well, it's also yeah an amazing institution. <laughs> and too. I, I had the sudden realization that I may not make the cut. I went to the head of the department. I asked him, "What am I going to do? What are my chances of getting further into the system?" And he said, "Well." If the two applicants are equal, there's no problem. I take the uh, not the Catholic applicant. I wasn't. And he said, but if it's the other applicant is better than our typical resident, I take him. So I said, uh, does this apply to me? And they said, oh, get out of here. If you can't get it, you don't deserve it. <laughs> well, that, that must have made you feel great. Very much. And I got the position cut down to three. I was one of the three. And they took three others from elsewhere, from different institutions. Wow. congratulations. Yeah. yeah. I was very proud of that. And actually... That's winning twice, the by the way, you know. First non-Jewish chief resident at Sinai yeah. in any specialty. Well, but that's also... That's winning twice. That's winning the tournament twice. Well, it is because yeah. not only do you have to get in, but then you have to you have you have one strike against you. You know, you yeah. have one game when mm-hmm. you're one game down. But all right, so when, what year then? So when he talked when he talked about that was it was the only 19 place. Win? This is already in this this was sixty three. This when this happened, and he organized every two months an abortion. I've oh, he was in 1963. Oh, you said I was 60. No, he's, no, he was not 63. No, no, I... That would make you 110. It <laughs> <laughs> was in 1963. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> okay. The people who had a very valid reason, in his opinion, were presented to this abortion committee, which consisted of the head of OBGYN, head of pediatrics, head of psychiatry, local clergy, hospital lawyer, and out of the 10, 15 applicants, usually one or two got passed. And then, since there were clinic patients, we, as a resident or senior resident, we performed the procedure. Wow. This was all under Guttmacher's supervision. And so, problem- so if the panel agreed to it, so that means there were extenuating circumstances. Yes. If the panel agreed to it, then one of you would perform it. Now, did people, did nurses refuse to, in other words, was there pushback inside the hospital? There was. Was it done we, in secret? How did it work? No, no, it's, uh, Guttmacher ran his own department. Good for uh, him. Wow. Very, very, very well. And he stood up whenever anybody criticized him and, says, and said, look at this story. How could you refuse it? And that usually shut up people because they realized it was cruel not to help. What would he say now, in your opinion? Now they just took funding away from Planned Parenthood because of abortion. In your opinion, what I think he would say it's a travesty. What do you say? I agree with him. I mean, posthumous is no longer alive. But, I, I mean, that helped me point in the right way, that if the circumstances are such that this woman's life is going to be altered in the wrong direction. We have the tools. Nobody else does. And, and the alternative is to send somebody into back alleys where some incompetent person may mess it up. In fact, I very, very clearly remember a case. Somebody who came to the clinic, the emergency room, bleeding, and said, I'm having a miscarriage. And I was the one who examined her, 
She wasn't having a miscarriage. She had a bleeding ulcer in the top of the vagina, and there was a pill in it, which turned out to be a Lysol pill. And, and that creates an abortive... And it, she thought, she was hoping that it would create a miscarriage, oh, but I it didn't. Yeah. It created a hole oh, which God. was bleeding. So Did you we save her? fixed it and told her that that's not the way to do it. And well, sometimes that was the only way to do it. Yeah, right. Okay, but, but so she already got burned. She almost bled out, but she didn't want to hear anymore. She just wanted to disappear because she went back to whoever helped her originally and came back with 104 fever a week later and sick as a dog. And the only thing we could do was do a hysterectomy and bilateral orthorectomy because she was, the whole pelvis was full of pus. And this happened to a 17-year-old girl sterilized and castrated at age 17. Now, this would have been a case that should have been legally aborted, quote-unquote. So this happened to me in my training. And in the meantime, my uncle, who worked at St. Louis at the University of Washington U, was inducing premature labor with... Why would, but it's so funny about that is you just told us this story about your uncle that he was premature and he was yeah. trying to work on how to make you not premature. And from what I read though, Thomas, the way you figured it out is you started, you had to induce labor in rabbits. So you injected them with a saline solution. We tried many uh, different solutions and some of them formalin. And unfortunately, it not only killed the pregnancy, it killed the mother too. But these are rabbits, so we realized what is well, tolerable. Well, talk about Peter Rabbit. Peter Rabbit would not just say. <laughs> right. So then we settled on saline because even if some of it leaks into the maternal circulation, they can usually handle it. If it's too much, it can also kill the mother. Okay, that was in 1960, before yeah. you had even gone to Mount Sinai. That's right, because so, I was a medical student at Cornell, and he was at the Rockefeller Institute at the time. Because that was before you were talked into belief, where you were shown the way of your abortion position. So so what was... Many factors added up to my very liberal conviction, and this was one of them, that actually by putting the saline into the uh, pregnancy sac, and it was interesting because the rabbit has two uterine horns, and three or four on each side, so you could use the other horn as a control. You inject one, one two, the three other. on the left side and see what happens. And when they abort the three, you go back and look. The other one you didn't touch continued the pregnancy. So this was a very healthy, very convenient model, experimental model. But basically, his idea that if you destroy the placenta in the rabbit, they invariably miscarry. And so those are those day. are later term abortions that use that that yes. position. But um, but if we but if we go back to now, okay, so in 1970, New York State changes the law. But in 1969, you must have been part of the discussion that the lawmakers were having about whether they were going to vote for or against this. Do you remember what was Actually, going on? Actually, I, I was once asked, it was a case in St. Louis where a three-judge panel was reviewing the issues and I was asked to come and testify. 
and I went, and unfortunately, it was a two-to-one decision against uh, liberalization, any procedures. So I was, by that time, totally committed to, to help this cause, if possible. Luckily, New York State came through first, and then Were you suddenly, surprised? I was surprised. I, I, I didn't think that... I, I wasn't politically savvy enough to realize that a state could do differently than the rest of uh-huh. the... the We're in Hungary. Nobody can do anything, so it doesn't, you know... <laughs> yes, but it was all... In Hungary, I, I was too young to realize that people were having abortions. But later, as I kept going back, I visited at least once a year, and I met colleagues, and I knew that they were all doing it yeah. sub rosa. It's just that... Nobody knew it. It was quiet on the QT. Everybody kept quiet about it. Okay, so were the so the doctors at Mount Sinai knew that you were pro-abortion. Yes. Did they? Did were there discussions in the coffee room? I mean, what what was the political climate in your hospital toward you at that moment when you started to start these clinics? Our influence has turned even those who may have been against it. They turned them quiet enough not to challenge us who were true believers. Mm-hmm. And that atmosphere sort of prevailed. And now there were there were also people picketing and people threatening. Were you threatened? When I went into some of the places which did abortion and I was asked several times to come and review things and suggest how to do it, there were picket lines. But I've never been physically threatened like some people in Boston, somebody ended up going to jail for doing abortions in Boston. Yeah. And you mean in 1970, you mean? Yeah, 1970, uh-huh. before 73, before yeah. Yeah. In New York, the whole atmosphere was much more advanced than the rest of the country. So I never felt physically threatened. So you were never worried for your family or for any no. of those situations? You don't think other doctors were either? Well, the rest of the country, yes. But uh, not where you not, were? Uh, and even in Colorado, the guy who eventually got shot, Tiller, he was killed. Yes. Uh, more than one. I, I, I think he's the him. only doctor who was killed, but I, I think more than one person has been killed yes, from it. Yes, but he yeah. was the one who probably was best known. Huh. So I'm going to interject something here. How many babies have do you think you've brought? Do you know how many babies you've birthed? I once <laughs> sat down and it, it's you can't yeah, exactly. be exact, yeah. but it's plus minus 4,000. Okay. And those those were very interesting experiences. <laughs> I still think a childbirth is one of the last mysteries or, or, or miracles. For somebody who is submerged in fluid comes out, coughs a few times, and start breathing, and <laughs> yells and screams at you. It's it's wonderful. Okay, how but many? I, I was by that time convinced that at that point, that's the right thing to help. Well, and I only... had the tools because I had this training in high-risk pregnancy. Well, it's also interesting, you know, that you happen to have been with somebody who really was at the forefront of the philosophy behind why abortion is a good thing. All right, how many abortions do you think you've performed? That I never ended up, but we've published a, uh, a series of 6,000 consecutive ones. We wanted to prove that doing the late abortion with saline is safe, mm-hmm. and the maternal mortality was, 
I think virtually zero. We lost one person of complications, but not due to the sailing, but subsequent problems. And one of the problems is they had to make their their planes to get back on and fly home, and they may like my friends have, in Nebraska. Yeah, yeah, they may have had a retained placenta, and we tried to tell them that they have to stay to solve this problem. No, I can't. I can't miss my plane. And we're really torn what to do, lock them up or let them go home because... Well, there's going to be a problem when they get there. Yeah. Okay, but Thomas, what's interesting about that is the philosophy behind it. Okay, we're now 49 years later and you're retired and you look great, by the way. You're retired. Okay, and now you are watching all of this work that you put together 49 years ago with people who you admired greatly, like, you know, started Planned Parenthood. And it's starting to be overturned in a very big way in many places in this country. What? However, the saving grace, I think, is, or what makes me more comfortable is that I don't believe that New York State will ever go against Yeah, the but if the, if the federal Supreme Court takes away Roe v. Wade, then it's a whole other ballgame. That's true. That's just like California cannot decide their own uh, pollution rules. And the state can be overruled by federal yeah, authorities. Yeah. That's a very sad development. But do you think about it now? What do you think about now? Do you I go do, back but into... I'm now not as close to the issue as uh-huh. I used to be. But do you think there's a possibility in your lifetime that you could see what you did to help women like me have a real life? I'm a worried about life? that. And I'm really concerned that women don't stand up enough for their rights. And why do you think that is? I still a male culture. Uh, that I think that the women get brainwashed and they do what the family tradition was and their husband vote Republicans, they vote Republicans without thinking about it. Women have to take care of their own issues, which is important for them or should be important for them, and not let this happen. You know, I try, um, I try to live by the mantra to seek to understand rather than to be understood. Whenever I am really angry, which right now is a good chunk of the time, (laughs) at my fellow Americans, I say, okay, seek to understand rather than to be understood. And I then say, if I believed, if my religious upbringing made me believe, sincerely believe, that abortion was murder, then I would stand up against it also. If I really believe that, for example, I believe that the electric chair is murder. I don't think we're entitled to murder somebody, even if they murdered. I just, I believe that. Okay, and I'll stand up against it every single day of the week. So why is it... I just I've, read John Grisham's last book on... Uh, I didn't see it. Do I need to read it? Yes. Okay. What's against, it? It's, it's called The Chamber. Oh. Oh, wait, I saw the movie. I didn't. Oh, my God. You have to. It's on Netflix. You have to really? go see it. Oh, my God. It's one of the best movies. I, and, you I know, mean, I was sort of vacillating uh, about uh, whether the execution is, is a good idea. But if you read this book, you realize that you, you can't go along with it. It's, but I truly do believe that if someone believes it's murder, then they have a right to stand up against it. Just like you're not allowed to murder somebody just because you don't want to do what they're saying. You're not allowed to do that. And so, Sometimes it's tempting. <laughs> I know, I'm sure. Yeah, we've all been a pain in your neck many, many times. But anyway, so I, I, believe, I do understand, if I believe that passionately, and when you look at the number of abortions that take place every year, and you said something earlier that I think has to be repeated, 
because I try to seek to understand rather than be understood, you said that he showed you and he was able to help sway you toward abortion because he showed you in extreme cases why there's no question. Okay, I was not an extreme case. I was careless. Okay, so where does, and this is a philosophical question. I don't even know if you've thought about it over the years, but where does my responsibility end to not put myself in a position of having to to abort something that could be considered by others as a life? Well, Robin has an interesting solution to this. To all those people who are saying, no, no, you, you can't have that abortion, they should be the ones when that child is, that, that pregnancy is not aborted because that's not a child when you do an abortion. It's still mm-hmm. too, too early in the stage of development that those who eventually complete the pregnancy, they should be the ones be at the delivery room and when the mother doesn't didn't want it, hand it over to them and they are responsible for bringing them up. If you don't want abortion, fine. Put your Put money, your money where, where your mouth, mouth is. is right. yeah. And uh, they should be responsible for bringing that up. That would really make the point that they don't want abortion, therefore right. they take the responsibility. And of course, once we did a study, Robin was also part of it, we published it, intrigued me why so many women wait until 18, 19, 20 weeks when they know that they don't want this pregnancy. And we did the study and the startling findings were that the very young who just didn't know what, what hit them, they just frozen into inaction. Women in their 40s, who were hoping that they are going into menopause and because mm-hmm. they didn't get their periods. So they really didn't know they were pregnant. They didn't really know they're pregnant and when finally they couldn't button their uh, pants, they realized that something is funny happening and may have felt movements. Then they panicked and they, in the local places, this was before 73, in 71 or 72 we published, that... They had to do something. They couldn't do it locally, and right. that's why they came to New York. And we interviewed Wait, them. Wait, was there a third reason? Primarily that they, they wanted an abortion. They knew they needed an abortion, and they went but to the doctors. But you stick your, I, I, you stick your head, it's the same reason people who have cancer lumps don't call the doctor. That's right. They're, they stick their head the into the sand. The fear of what the answer is going to be is greater than the moment of yeah, ignoring. the ostrich effect. Yeah. And, uh, so that would be the third reason. Then. Yes. Yeah. There's one other thing I want to make you, you ask me how many deliveries I had and thoroughly enjoyed being an obstetrician. I know you did because I, I yeah. was around. Yeah. yeah. And yet I, I I felt perfectly reasonable to participate in the whole abortion movement. How do the two not uh, Well, how, does, how do they fit together? How yeah. do they fit together? Mm-hmm. That's a better way of putting it. And I was in 73 by a wealthy person who started out as a psychiatrist and was very impressed by how we handled the whole issue, said, I want to open an abortion clinic and provide it for $100, which was way below the going rate. So anybody the going rate was two fifty. I read some yes. stuff today about that. So he wanted yeah. to which, do by it. the way, was would probably be like fifteen hundred today. Yeah, yeah, not so, much. So it's not insignificant. Yeah. So the doing it for hundred would have been a godsend to those who right. couldn't afford it. Yeah. 
but he insisted that I do it full time. And that's when this issue, how this fits together, I said, I do believe that somebody should do this, but I don't want to do it full time. And he already invested, put in some money and rented a place, and I put in some money also. And I called him up and said, you know, let me refund my portion because it's not fair to you. You went in bigger than I did, but I don't want to be the rest of my life an abortionist. I enjoyed too much doing deliveries to give that up. So do you feel like both brought something to your life? Mm -hmm. Okay, so we know that you delivered thousands of babies. Did anybody ever call you and say, I regret having a baby. Why didn't you talk me into an abortion? It's a yes or no question. No. Okay. You performed thousands... I had a very touchy case. One of the people, one of the young women who presented herself to the abortion committee at Guttmacher. It was in 1965. <clears throat> she 65? said that, oh. uh, because I was chief resident, I remember okay. I ended up doing the abortion. The committee decided that this was her second event, and she was Down syndrome. Yeah. And... She, she was a Down, she was she a Down, had Down syndrome. syndrome, yeah. And she just kept getting pregnant. Yeah, well, and I, can said, I get it, yeah. And they said that, okay, we can abort you now, but you have to have your tooth tied. I don't think you're allowed to do that now, are you? No. No. But at that time, that uh-huh. was her it was way her of control. getting it yeah. approved. And I ended up doing the procedure and tying her tubes. Fast forward 10, 15 years... Somebody shows up in my office, bringing in tow another Down syndrome, her partner, her husband. Dr. Karini, I'm having trouble getting pregnant. (laughs) I want it to disappear. I was hoping that the ground will open up and I fall into it. And I remembered her. And, And she didn't realize that I was the one who made it impossible for her to get pregnant. And you do your job very well, Thomas, so I assume that she was not ever going to get pregnant. And it couldn't be reversed. Yeah, yeah. But it was, it really hit me. Yeah, no, I I can see it on your face now, actually. Okay, so so you did thousands of abortions. Did anyone ever call you and say, I wish I hadn't done it? Just one person who had two kids and was very torn about the third one and I sort of helped her cope with her decision and we aborted her. And then a couple of years later, I met her and she said, uh, well, I'm, I'm sorry I did it. She didn't blame me for it because she made the decision, but sort of I was included in the <laughs> guilty feelings that she regretted it and she, she wanted it. So one, one out of thousands. Yeah, I think that's the only one I remember. See, what's interesting to me, and I, I, was, I was hoping for those answers, I was anticipating those answers, and I know if you're a lawyer, you should never ask a question or the well, answer to. Yeah, but I think that says a lot to the law. You know, that if none of these women, I do not regret the abortion I had, even though I regret not marrying that man, yeah. actually, but I don't regret the abortion. No. And I... You know, and I have a wonderful child, as you know. So 
I think that that is really one of the main points that we should really speak to in this country, that there's very little regret. You know, the GOP would like to have you believe that these women's lives are ruined forever. I'll tell you a story. I wanted to end with this story, and then um, I have a couple other quickie questions. But my mom, when she was dying, my mother was a very uh, distant parent. I always felt like she was preoccupied with something else. And when she was dying on Cape Cod five years ago, I found out sort of surreptitiously her best friend was came to say goodbye to her. And when I was leaving, she said to me, are you going to invite your brother to the funeral? And I said, Linda, you know, I don't have a brother. I have two sisters. And she said, oh, oh yeah, sorry, sorry. And I was like, whoa, 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 whoa. That's, that's and then she said, I'm a very strident personality. Let's say that. And she said, don't start. Don't go here. And I said, you went here and now I'm going to go here. If you don't tell me, I'm going to go over to mom's right now and ask her. And she said, well, your mother told me yesterday. My mother, by then the cancer was in her brain. My mother told her she had told me. It turns out my mother had a son in 19, yeah, 1949. She was 18. And turns out he was a very famous guy, a very famous hockey player. Very, very famous. To this day, they made a movie about him. Anyway, so she, you know, met him in a bar and... They went to a car and she she had sex and she got pregnant. It was her first semester of college, came home for Christmas vacation. Now, my mother was a famous name on Cape Cod. She, her name is very big, my mother's maiden name. And so she came home and her mother saw that she was pregnant. And her mother was head of nursing at Cape Cod Hospital. And my grandfather started the Cape Cod Hospital, you know, his benevolence. And they sent her to Pennsylvania, to Philadelphia, where she, this is 1949, where she slept on the bench in this doctor's office for the entire last five months by herself. She had the baby, and when you had a baby back then, it turns out right after the war, so my mother's five years after the end of the war, there were a lot of pregnancies because there was no birth control, and they were having sex. And so she had this baby. And when you gave the baby up for, for adoption, you weren't supposed to see the baby. You weren't supposed to be told what sex it was or anything. And a nurse whispered in my mother's ear, um, it's a boy. He's healthy. Don't worry. Okay. Fast forward. So my mother gets married, has three girls and we live in Westport, Connecticut. And my mother tells this story to me. And when she's dying that We're at a parade. I remember the parade because I remember my mother became hysterical and we left the parade. She looks up and she sees him walking down the street. He's a Cub Scout in Westport, Connecticut, and she sure it's him. It turns out it was him, actually. Now, here she is. She has three kids under the age of six, and she's at a parade with all the noise and everything else. And the connection was so strong in this baby she gave up that she saw him and she knew it was him. And she, we moved to New Canaan. And I remember, I asked my mother years later, why would we move from Westport to New Canaan? And you're like, you know, like, she just didn't want to bump into well, it, my right? father moved us so that, you know, anyway, so my mom was dying and I said, mom, do you want me to find, story gets a little more complicated. So he comes to her 25 years ago and he, and she turns him away. She doesn't see him. He still in West, lives in Westport, Connecticut. She turns him away and my mother tried to kill herself in that year. She was running for Congress, very, you know, running for Congress. She tried to kill herself, and we couldn't figure out why. 
And I think her shame was so great that she turned him away and that she thought of him. My mother was not a good mother because she could never get over what she had done. She would have been in your abortion clinic and my mother would have had a different life. And so would her three daughters. Okay, now my half-brother wouldn't have had a life at all. Now, here's the funny part. I am the spitting image of my half-brother. And <laughs> so we went, I went to my nephew's wedding. I went to my nephew's wedding, and everyone came up and said, Oh, my God, you're Pete's sister. How come we've never met you? I said, Long story. Not gonna go anyway, I, I found him in five minutes on the Internet. He was there the next day to say hello and goodbye to his mother. Yeah, who was his wow. birth mother. So what I'm saying is the stories, by the way... If you ask my mother, her regret, her regret was giving up a child. It would not have been having an abortion, I can tell you now. Because the residue of what she had done was not the same. Yeah. Do you agree with that? Yeah, totally. So is that, I mean, I just, I wanted to sort of bring full circle of birth, abortion, and then adoption. I don't know that that's an old, I think many women have called and said, I'm, I, I regret giving up a child for adoption. Look how many women have gone to try to find the kid they gave up. None of those women came to you and said, I wish I hadn't had an abortion. Isn't that something we should be paying attention that to? That should be driven home in a bigger way than... <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. <laughs> no, but you see the correlation absolutely. I'm trying to make, right? Oh, and I think we should talk more about that because if we look at the statistics and the data and talking to someone like you who did thousands of abortions, no one came to you and said, I regret Never. what I did. Okay. What is that? How do you how do you end with that, Thomas? How do you what do you? It gives me pleasure that what I thought at the time was the right thing to do, in the long run turned out to be the right thing to do. Okay, also. which means we end with what was his comment to you? There should be no. All pregnancies should be planned once. If it wasn't planned and the person regrets the situation what they're in. And we are the ones who have the tool to help her out of that situation. We should use our tools. Well, thank you for taking us down this road, because I think that ending with all of what we just brought together is really important. So thank you, thank my you friend. Thank you very much. Yeah.